Um, Jordan's getting all these emails. He's got to renew his Pornhub subscription. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, welcome to another episode of Holy Fuck, it's a music podcast. Joining us today is a band well and truly on the rise in the Saskatchewan music scene, Weapons. Um, and before you make any judgments about the name, it comes from the idea that people should make music, not weapons. Um, this is a first for us, as we welcome a band rather than just an individual guest. Um, so we have three guests today, Jordan, Talis, and Mick. Thank you very much for joining us, guys. So I wanted to jump in with a, almost a non-musical question. The first time I'd heard about you guys was through a beer collaboration with High Key, so the Pineapple IPA. How the hell did that come about? Uh, we're kind of, um, we like beer. <laughs> no, we, we had a, like, Matt Shev is a, is a good friend and a fan of the bands, and uh, and he's a brilliant brewer, like, he really is. And uh, the idea kind of came out, because we, we actually were talking about doing this collaboration. We had the name... Uh, the name for the beer, and then when we had a friend in Matt, just made the most sense. We're like, "Hey, like this is a this is a local brewery. You're, we love your stuff, you know. Yeah. Like, would you be interested in doing it?" And it, it came together, you know, pretty pretty easily actually. And you know, High Key is probably, I, I'd argue, High Key is one of the best breweries in Saskatchewan. Like, I just I love their stuff, and they and uh, we love their stuff, and we had a good relationship with them. But yeah, and we were we were fortunate that everything got to move ahead. It was actually kind of like a, a COVID fluke. That it got canned because initially it was supposed to be just like a seasonal thing. Yeah. And um, so they had the seasonal beer that they, because like high keys relatively new at, at like canning, like they've only, only been doing it for you know, a few months. And um, so we had our beer was just kind of sitting there, like, you know, no, no place to take kegs because there was no restaurants or bars open. And eventually it just got canned almost out of necessity. So it was like a really, you know, little COVID miracle. <laughs> so were you guys actually did you guys get involved were you able to go in when the beer was actually being brewed and see that whole process and get yep we threw the hops in oh nice hops in. Yeah. yeah so I actually do a little bit of work with um, 21st Street Brewery and Matt used to brew with Casey at 21st Street and I know him from Paddockwood years ago so I, I know Matt really well so um, yeah so I'm, and we're, Randy and I are big craft beer fans too so how did you guys meet and, and get together as a as a band Kind of known each other roundaboutly for a few years, and then um, Mick and I were playing together. Mick and Tower playing together, and then the three of us ended up playing together on like on, like doing a show, and then uh, kind of had a good energy from like a good vibe, good feel from everything, and we decided to just form a band from that. It happens no, happened nice. pretty naturally. It was like let's all do this. Cool. And uh, why a three piece? Did you consider bringing on a fourth or anything at any point, or? for like a small time but then i don't know just like the energy was working as three and that's what it is i think About we uh three eight minutes yeah yeah it ended up working out that way um i think we ended up booking shows <laughs> right away and it was like okay there's the three of us and we just sort of went with that with that model just to get those shows done and uh yeah yeah that's good that's that's smart you know uh i have a huge band and it makes it really difficult to get everybody together and organized stuff so that's that's smart thinking plus you guys could can tour in a in a minivan right 
Well, yeah. our van's not so many. Yeah. <laughs> we have uh, an 80, 81 Chevy camper van, like a conversion van. Oh, yeah. Nice. It's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> That's the reaction to everyone. If you could check out his Instagram account, his name is Jean-Claude Van Van. <laughs> um, but yeah, so, that's, and I think also musically, it, it kind of puts us, there's a lot more freedom, but also like a lot more responsibility. We all have a little bit more shit we have to do. Like you have to, and it's not that every three pieces like that or has to be like that. I think it's just like the going for like the sound that we're going for. We kind of, I think we like to be conscious of how we're thickening things up and supporting one another musically and like, you know, bringing out the like you know the full sound that we want yeah and we i think we learned that afterwards you know mm -hmm. it, it was it wasn't planned it wasn't pre-planned or anything it just just this, this is the way it happened and this is what it is so yeah <laughs> take it or leave it, it, or leave it. <laughs> yeah. and with with three pieces i mean the rhythm section has to be nailed on right i mean the police is a good example of that where the rhythm sections it's everything because you know jordan used as the singer and the guitarist mm -hmm. if these guys drop the ball there's nowhere else, there's nowhere to hide so yeah. I had a quick question about that. And Randy, I'll, I'll jump ahead to that. So we were speaking to Jay Semko and he was saying that obviously with him being a bass player in the Northern Pikes, him and the drummer would practice relentlessly just on their own. And so do you guys, as, as the rhythm section, do you guys kind of spend a lot of time just working with each other to make sure that you know exactly how you're playing off each other during those songs? Uh, you know, I, I, I don't think we've done that. We haven't done that yet. We usually get into a room, the three of us, yeah. Um, but we, we do communicate very well and we, we, uh, we definitely listen to each other. That's for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. And I don't think I was going to say anything. It's just like, I was thinking, I think we did have that thought, but then I'm pretty sure when we get in a room, it's like things, I think the three of us know how to contribute and say like, Oh, this is off together. So then it's like, we can work on everything at once pretty well, I think. Okay. Um, and I think there's a lot, I guess, as someone who's like part-time in the rhythm section, part-time not, right? Because yeah. depending on what, what you're doing with the guitar, yeah. like there, there are times where it's like, it's like, oh, I have, like I'm functioning as a rhythm, like as, as a part of the rhythm section, right? Because we're doing something that's very, very like, you know, drums and bass oriented and like yeah. my part is directly dictated and part of the groove of what they're doing. It's actually, um, but we, you know, we do, we do we sort of go over probably uh, like similar exercises. Uh, there's actually one song in particular where we uh, rehearse just, you know, this four, eight bar, eight bar piece of this song at 40 BPM together. So we try to lock everything in together. And it was just, it was simple. It's just 16th notes, but we're all playing that rhythm together. So, you know, we will, we'll run some exercises that way and uh, vocal exercises with each other. But, you know, it is funny because there's another project that I'm in uh, just as a sort of a side thing for fun. And the bass player and I have been getting together quite a bit during this pandemic. And yeah. uh, every time the, you know, there's no excuses for the singer slash guitar player when he comes in, you know, if something's yeah. up and he's got a problem, it's like, well, that sounds like a you problem, not a me problem. You know? <laughs> so, uh, you know, we've been here three or four times a week, you know, yeah. in a month. <laughs> yeah. When you guys, uh, Rehearse? Do you rehearse to a click track or? Typically, I think, yeah. Yeah. Um, so with with the click on stage, there's like there's actually only one song that we don't do with the click. And what tune is it? Is it is it by Baby Gun? We started doing. We stopped doing with the click. Which one did we drop the click for? On on tour, yeah. Oh, it's off the top of my heart. We dropped the click right. for. Um, but okay. yeah, and, uh, when we're performing live, when we're rehearsing, 
uh, I have a click going in my ears. So I guess in turn, I'm their click. And then we click. And then this, yeah. I do, this message. Unless he fucks up. up. Yeah, yeah. Or unless. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like, and, and I think I was, I was a huge, huge learner. Like, for example, like um, in my in ears, the, the, for the two things, like I need, a, like, I need my vocals so I can hear myself. But like yeah. after that, like I need a, in a good mix of the kick drum and I need a good mix of the snare. Because that's, I think that was all. That's the heartbeat of rock and roll, I think. Yeah, absolutely. That is the click of rock and roll, is it not? It's true. So it's, it's kind of, I don't know, it's interesting. We have, I know that some bands have, everyone has the click. Hey, but like, I don't know if I'd like that as much because then I think I'd be, I'd be listening to the click more rather than listening to Palace more. And then it, yeah. And of course, it depends on what you're going for, right? Because everybody feels the click a little bit differently. Um, you know, so everybody think, may think that they're playing on it. You know, if they if they're all listening to the click together, and uh, yeah, anyway, yeah, so it's uh, it can get interesting sometimes, you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's good. That's good. That's cool. You guys are playing to a click. So, do you, are you guys have? Uh, are you guys playing to tracks live as well, or no? Uh, no, um, no. It's just a click off my iPhone, which was uh, on its last legs at the end of the tour. There, <laughs> and it, even the green songs, like the touch screen, it was cracked, and I'm like, oh my god, you know, it's like hitting that thing five to ten times in between songs in front of these <laughs> huge crowds and uh in a six second window <laughs> yeah yeah exactly yeah you know well, the idea of playing with like uh with tracks too is like we've we've heard some bands like sound fucking awesome with tracks like and for us i think there's a little part of it where like right currently like we just like really enjoy it's like okay we have the song we have recorded we have the studio version of it now let's figure out how to like how do we compensate for that second guitar part that's there yeah. or like, you know what i mean like how can we use our voices and like interesting orchestration between like the, like the, our three instruments to like fill it up and make it sound big but i've often thought that after you're done recording you have to go back and just re relearn your songs as though it's a cover as though you've never learned it before and because uh, it invariably changes and i think i think for the better usually but i i totally agree with that even um we were our our second single she was the one we were performing it even even after we recorded it and we were performing it in the in like the uh, the original key that we were kind of demoing it in then we changed the key and actually changed the arrangement of the song but we had we had rehearsed and had like you know we had it arranged and ready for performance in this one version so we kept doing that until it's like okay we're done our like set our like you know line of shows that we have we're gonna, you know, now we have time to get our next show ready. Then we'll bring that one into rotation. Bring the new one into rotation. But it, I, like, took me. I had to like relearn the song, kind of thing, you know, and like relearn how to sing it and and, and play it. Because yeah, it's almost like covering your own song. <laughs> yeah. Well, a lot of bands do that too, right? So, you know, I mean, I'm a big Foo Fighters fan. When you go to a Foo Fighters show, because they've been playing, you know, there's only so many times you want to play Everlong, but you have to play it. So Dave Grohl, they just switch it up. They'll they'll put in a little sort of rockabilly section in the middle, or they'll extend the the end of it or something. So having that sort of flexibility to just change your own song pff, makes it more interesting uh, for the crowd, I think. Absolutely, man. It becomes jazz at that point. You know, you know your <laughs> composition so well that you you know you want to have some fun with it. You know, and and, and uh, there's nothing wrong with that as long as it doesn't sound like crap. <laughs> <laughs> There's nothing wrong with it. Except it's wrong. Please please don't do that. Do the same thing you just did, but better. (laughs) (laughs) So you guys play play with in-ears. Do you find uh, a disconnect with the audience? uh, Because I flirted with with using them, but 
I guess it's because I'm old. I prefer a monitor blasting <laughs> up at me. But Be- being the singer of the dude is like, Are you fuckers ready to party? Like that kind of yeah. stuff. Like whenever it was that, it's like, you know, you're especially on this last tour where we were playing to bigger rooms and it was like, it's like, how you guys doing tonight? And you just got to fake it. Cause all I can hear is like nothing. Like just yeah. <laughs> a lot of arms and not a lot of voices. You don't, you don't know until you watch the footage afterwards of the show. It's like, so did we suck tonight? Or like, I don't know. <laughs> it's like getting in front of people in a library and they're just doing this. <laughs> you mocking me? That's funny. Right on. Um, yeah, the, the interviewing, uh, I think these guys just started using it for the first time on that tour. Um, I've been using I've been using them over the, over the last couple of years and uh, the past couple of years, and I love them. I really do, especially being a drummer. You know, like that that volume, it'll it'll get it'll get you after a while. <laughs> you know, yeah, for sure. And yeah. sleep yeah. ringing in the ears. Yeah, you know. What? What did you say? Oh, sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. No, you, you finish. Um, what I was going to say was uh, I found, because uh, this is the first time that I, I've used them, like Talis had said, and it made a huge difference for, like, uh, like just my um, – my voice, like just as far as like being able to, uh, like, you know, having consistency. So like, that was a big thing. Like the, you know, just intonation issues or anything like that. Like, like it's, yeah, it's, it makes a huge, huge, or it made a huge difference to me. Once I got used to it, there was like first three or four shows, it was like kind of weird. And then once I like figured out how to get a mix that was comfortable and like, you know, it was like, you know, producing the sound that, that we like, you know, we wanted to produce up front. It was, yeah, it made a huge, like, and my voice, like my voice was never sore. And my ears were never sore kind of thing. You know, it's like we could play like, you know, 21 rock shows in a month and like, keep going. Oh, all right, ready for the next one. That's like, because it was yeah. all tracks. It wasn't even him. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you just unplugged him and didn't tell him? Oh, man. Jordan, you sounded great last night. <laughs> I mean, no, wait, so that's Jordan. <laughs> no one said the tracks weren't live. You're seeing Jordan, the tracks. Jordan, you sounded great last night. <laughs> Um, so Jordan, I, I'd read that you're classically trained as a vocalist. Then is that did I did I read that right? Or yeah, where where do people keep finding that? By the way, because that's come up before. In articles. <laughs> like, where the fuck do people keep finding that bit of information? See a good couple of articles. There's one on CBC and one on I think maybe the Star Kleenex. Oh, sorry, Star Phoenix. Sorry. <laughs> uh, that's funny. <laughs> Makes sense. Deliver those. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, what is that training then? What was? What did that? How did that happen? So it was. Well, I, I used to. Like, I'd run up hills and like uh, about like three feet of snow, and then uh, get down to the, the, the log cabin. Uh, and uh, my, my vocal coach would have a large piece of beef that I like. You know, he'd have me like, <laughs> gowls into while I'm punching it. And, uh, <laughs> and he'd I was, I, I, it was it was music school. I was going to school to be a uh, to be a music teacher, and oh, okay. uh, part of that program, they like I guess the idea is that they want you to be able to like if you're going to be teaching people, you you, you know be able to um, perform as well. It's actually um, Randy because you you play with Adam, Adam Streisel, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Same 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 program that Adam did, or I, I think at least. But, okay. Uh, okay. Yeah. He uh, or it was. Basically that, like that was the extent of my classical training. I, I sang choirs and stuff when I was a kid, but 
that uh, like that schooling was, you know, that uh, it it was really great because like I guess I was you know classically trained, but like to what extent? Like, I got I don't have my music degree. I didn't you know yep. didn't fit, didn't finish it, but I did learn a lot. Like there's definitely things where like w- there are things that I'm I'm able to use from that while we're on the road that really make a huge difference with like just being able to sustain my like my voice and make, make sure that I'm not hurting myself and you know yep. getting. With guitar, Jordan, when did you pick up a, f- a guitar first? What was your what was uh, that? like? What, what was your first guitar? Maybe fifth, uh, what was my first guitar? Yeah. Okay, so I was I was fifteen, I think. Cause he, like yes, like uh, yep. yeah. I was fifteen ish. Like it was a mandatory class you had to take in school. Like you know they have like your your arts, like your general fine arts. I think is what it was called. So you did one third of the semester in uh, drama, one third in uh, music, and one third in uh, like just visual art. And, uh, yeah, so I picked up guitar and I was just like, Oh, I really like this. I just loved it. And then yeah. I think the following year, my great uncle Elmer, he bought me, uh, it was a Yamaha EG 112. It looked, it was, it was a Stratocaster style guitar, but yeah, I remember the name Yamaha EG 112 and it was, uh, he paid, I think $125 for it. And it was the first thing like I got the guitar. I was, I was like over the moon cause I had an electric guitar and I could practice at home and I, I didn't have to like cut class to go like hide in the guitar room and like practice in like little practice modules, which I still did. <laughs> but now I use my home guitar. It was, I, I remember the first, I think it was the first night or maybe like the, the first weekend, like I had the guitar for like five or six days. And I took apart every fucking screw in that guitar just because I'm like, hmm, I wonder how this works. And I took the whole thing apart and I had all these screws in front of me. And I was just like, shit, I have no idea how to put this back together. Here's a piece of it here. Yeah. Here's a piece of it here. I ate it, yeah. Nice. He still finds screws in his pockets every now and again. It's crazy. Yeah, my screws are loose to say the least. <laughs> I don't know. I think that's a. It's an inquisitive thing, right? Like, well, yeah, I want to know how this fucking thing works. I never take a keyboard apart because that's just way too much. But a guitar, you should be able to get that back together, right? It's... Well, like, and, and Stratzaw guitars are kind of made for that, right? Like, like, I didn't know this at the time, but like, you know, years later, it's like, it's like, oh, people do this all the time, you know? They just part part together their guitars. That's like, that's how Van Halen got his like monstrosity, right? So all the youth out there. When it comes to Lego, put your time in. When it comes to connects, put your time in. Yep. You know, <laughs> then you could be all this and more. <laughs> Belly out. <laughs> Just don't be him. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, so everyone's clear. I was making fun of myself, not exalting myself. <laughs> and Mick, what about you? How did you? Uh, how did you get started? I actually forget. I actually started on like an empty water jug. Um, because I must have been like three and still in my pull-ups and I think I would have been like dancing to like kiss or something and I grab an empty water jug and use it as a air guitar, but it's physical. Anyway, um, then I think must have, the music instrument or interest rather came back like a few years later when uh, all of my siblings were listening to Billy Talent. Like we all got super into Billy Talent. We liked Sum 41 and uh, Iron Maiden a bit before that, but like we saw Billy Talent on Much Music and like, holy shit, we want a guitar now. <laughs> so it was actually my sister that first got a guitar and then we all picked that up. A year later, she got a bass, we all picked that up and we were hooked ever since. 
Sorry, Mick. So is, is that do you have a musical family? Are your parents musical, or at least they were supportive then? Obviously, I think my dad was a bit of a singer. My mom played French horn, but it's not like they were in bands or like ever super yeah. involved. Um, so, but they definitely loved music. Like I think my mom practically introduced us White Stripes. Um, my dad loves the Who and Beatles. He's he's got a sweet LP collection. Nice. Um, so that would have been our exposure, and then much music helped a lot. And so you put, did you play like you played at the open the open sessions at Buds on weekends? Is that kind of where you cut your teeth? I, playing I did live? do that. Yeah, that's that was my first taste of uh, that was my first taste of live playing. I think I was part of the Long McQuaid um, rock school they had. Okay, uh, it's like I think I got into guitar. Then I took like a number of years of a break, and then. Eventually, I got pushed into lessons because, like, hey, you were good, and now you're pissing it away, I guess. Yeah. And then um, got involved with rock school, and I think the recital was at Bud's, so that was my first case of playing live. Little, short, curly-haired kid, <laughs> just barely knowing how to sing and play. That was my, that was my taste, is the point. <laughs> that was him yesterday. That was me. Did that grab you? A week, a week ago. We'll did that grab you right away or was performing live was that nervy or did you really just love it right from the back get go or i think it happened pretty quickly like after that recital we ended up going every week and then that's uh also where my sister met her now husband <laughs> like nice. i think it was like the same day it was just a weird twist of fate that like start there and then kept coming back and yeah here i am where you met your husband's where i met my husband's <laughs> that is that is actually how we got rekindled jordan and i because we used to go to the same church together and then i guess we both were kind of going to buds and then like my mom pointed out hey that's the guy that used to come out to our, our house and oh okay cool <laughs> started playing from there but we got rekindled at buds and i think it was actually because we it was somewhat through buzz but i think that like the specific night that we re-met was actually at vangelis it was a sunday night if i remember correctly i guess i don't remember yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's a half a block away it's fine this <laughs> yeah, has like, turned into a tinder date or something <laughs> <laughs> well, <it was> fine, <laughs> obviously <laughs> Yeah, you're the, you're definitely the third wheel here, Talos. I think at the moment, eh? Hey? <laughs> so I was going to ask you, Talos, too. So with weapons, and I, obviously I don't know the other bands you played in, but it's a very you, you're sitting in the pocket playing, and you're really just holding this together. It's almost got that sort of Phil Rudd ACDC vibe. So I just wanted to ask you about who your influences are as a drummer, and especially with this band. Oh, um, a lot of my influences are it's. Uh... <laughs> Oh man, Abe Cunningham from the Deftones. Love his drumming. Love that band. Uh, Dave Grohl, of course. Anything he seems to do sounds great. Yeah. Uh, Danny Carey from Tool. Um, you know, and then and then you've got like those virtuosos. Uh, you know, like the like master drummers that are like Dave Weckl and, and all those guys. Like Vinny Caliuta. I listen to a lot of those guys. But um, when it comes to playing rock and roll, of course, I I listen to guys like you know. Uh, Daniel Adair from Nickelback. Everybody hates Nickelback, but that guy is the rock drummer. Um, and yeah, Phil Rudd, man, like he pretty much he designed rock drumming. It seems, you know, like you know, and and with this band, yeah, it's like I'll uh, I like hearing what these guys have to do. I I really don't mind sitting in the pocket. I actually prefer it. And I'll actually come up with 
uh, just like in pretty simple groups, send them along to these guys on my phone or whatever. And uh, the things that they send back to me are just awesome. You know, just try to leave a lot of space. And yep. uh, I think uh, so far so good. You don't want a drummer doing too much, right? Especially when you're, the songs you're writing now, Jordan, or you got, do you write all together actually? All together. Yeah, we do, yeah. Okay. You don't want to, Especially as a drummer too, you want to you want to complement the vocals, man. Once there's vocals there, you got to really chill out and and uh, just make it feel good, you know. Keep it yeah. simple, good, right? So. Well, serve the song, I think, is what people always say, right? And I know that with weapons, obviously, this is it's very, and I, I say this radio friendly in a good way. And if you were doing too much, you know, if you if you you know Mick was playing these fan like you know. Uh, Rush style bass lines, and you were playing all over top of it, it just wouldn't work. The song would get lost in that. So is that a conscious thing of being sort of okay, do we how much can we take out? I've heard bands talk about that before is if we can take out as much as we can without losing the song, then the, uh, we've got it stripped down to its basic sort of elements, right? The art of subtraction, right? So um yeah, yeah it's actually I, I find that when you're younger, you know, you want to play so many notes, you want to play fast, you want to be that's I mean I think so. I, I, I was that's, I was that way. Actually. Yeah, yeah. And then as you yeah. get older, you really appreciate like the, the, the like simple playing and how tight some people can can just play something simple or how well they can play. I remember actually being on the theory tour. Um, there, there's this one song that every night, uh, Dave Brenner, the guitar player, and it's a simple like four or five note riff, dun, 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 one, two, three, four, and the chorus. And he's not really doing much during the verse, but how well he played that, how tight. His dynamics were perfect. I was, I was, I looked forward to that every night, just that one part, because it was just he really committed to that part, you know. And How did that come about? That tour with Theory of Dead Man? Luck. <laughs> <laughs> There's this place we buy our lottery tickets at, and uh, <laughs> how, how did it come about? Spent a lot of time sitting on horseshoes. <laughs> um, essentially. Uh, that's that tour we were offered that tour um from theory's agent uh based off of the success we had with off the top of my heart um that had kind of gotten us a you know a, a conversation with him like he was like hey like you know essentially just sent us a cold call of like hey we should connect sometime also i'm the ceo yeah <laughs> yeah um and but yeah like theory's agent uh so yeah, we should we should connect sometime, and uh, we he you know we touch base. He, he threw out uh, a couple of different tours, and we're like, okay, cool. And then part of it was like, eh, you know, might never hear from that guy again. And then a couple weeks, after we actually that, we actually thought it was a joke. Yeah, when he first <laughs> called us, uh, touched base with us, we we had a it was a short conversation. We're like, oh wow, that was that's really cool, but. Yeah, is it? Are we going to catfish here? Yeah, yeah. And then um, we actually did get back to him for like two or three weeks, maybe almost a month or something. Yeah. And then he, it was an email or shot us a call back, like, hey, I haven't heard from you guys. Like, oh, okay. Just three paranoid guys. Yeah, it's like, yeah. it's like, hey, I haven't heard from you guys. Do you guys want to do the theory tour? We're like, yes, please. <laughs> <laughs> so, how were you uh, received by their their audience? spectacularly oh surprise that's for sure their fans are and i think when we were having drinks with them that one night they said i think it was it was dave that said or no it was uh dean that said it that they have the best fans and like he's like we have we honestly have the best fans they're really good to our other bands we brought on to open for us and, and 
was so true. They were awesome. No, like so many people that had not heard of the band before, because even on, you know, as an opening band, you know, contractually, it's like, yeah, it should say like, Oh, and you know, special guest weapons or whatever, but you know, not every billboard did that on the tour. You know, we yeah. get there then like, it's like, Oh, there's an opener. Like it was like some of the reactions, some of the, um, a lot of the, a lot of the fans and like, you know, that had, but it was, it was crazy because it was such an honest reaction where we, they had no idea who we were and then we'd play the show and then people would be like, that was awesome. They owed us nothing. Right. There was like, they like yeah. they didn't come to see us. They came to see theory in a lot of cases or vast majority. So it felt, it was a pretty like, I, I felt like a very sincere interaction with their fans of being like, you know, being really incredibly supportive. And, yeah. Oh, that's, that's really cool, man. Off the top of my heart, that was uh, written with Clayton Bellamy, is that right? Yes, and uh, John Angus McDonald and Colin McDonald from The Truce, too. So how did that how did that come about? Clayton, John Angus, and Colin, uh, they, they had written, like, the core essence of that song, um, bef- like, before, like, you know, before we had actually worked collaborated with them on it. And through John Angus, because, you know, we in the during the inception period of this band, like we'd started or started working with John Angus McDonald through John Angus. We um, like he showed us the song and then we reshaped it to, you know, like demoed back and forth and everything like that. We wrote some lyrics and and yeah, and then it kind of became what it was. So we actually all kind of met like our relationship with John Angus and uh, and uh, Colin and Clayton started with that song. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> that's a pretty heavyweight group of people to be working with right out of the gate, hey? Because the Trues are a fucking great band. I mean, I remember oh. the first time that first album I listened to, Making Sunshine. I thought, Jesus, this guy can sing! Like that guy's range is incredible. Is that He's the probably one of the best? Is that the Den of Thieves record, the orange one? Uh, yeah, the first one. Yeah, yeah. that's right. That's killer. I, I, I think that one's my favorite. I think they they recorded it with. Oh man, I can't remember the the, um, the producer's name, but he has worked on he's worked on a couple of Aerosmith's bigger bigger records, right? And, and it's just like when you when you hear that, then you kind of listen to the record, and you can kind of hear a little bit of that in the in the record. It's it's a I love it. It's very it's rock, rock and roll. roll. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, where where was it recorded then? Who which did you record uh, that in Saskatoon or? No, out of a studio in uh, in Ontario called Jukasa. Um, it's on. Uh, on the uh, Six Nations, um, like like on the First Nations near the uh, Grand River, Six Nations of the Grand River, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and there's there's a there's a it's actually the Steep is only about ten or eleven years old, great studio, um, and uh, bands that have recorded it in the past years are like Alexis on Fire, uh, Three Days Grace, Cancer Bats, Cancer Bats, July Talk, Snoop Dogg recorded there. It's, it's a great studio, yeah. Billy Gibbons visits frequently, apparently. Yeah. Protest the Hero. Who else? Matt Sorum has played there. Like, like so many. And, like, even albums from my childhood. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So. so was that your first recording experience, Mick? Or like, um, had you done recording before? Or? I think it was my first good recording experience. <laughs> <laughs> um, I did a couple of local things that, like, didn't quite turn out or, you know, bands that didn't really go anywhere. It's, like, you know, that was like my first experience. And then you go there and it's like, oh, this is like, get your shit together, Nick. Yeah. <laughs> like, learn how to play to a click. Get a haircut. Yeah, it's not yet. <laughs> not yet. 
Well, you've got to be rehearsed, right? Go in, you've got to, you've got to be able to play it going in. You've only got two or three yeah. takes because time is money, you know? So. And uh, I guess exactly that sentiment, time is money. So it's not like I ever like, you know, not care about a recording situation, yeah. but it's like you go there and it's like, holy shit, <laughs> you know, yeah. it's that kind of thing. And so Jordan, obviously with you had that, you have your EP, your solo EP, which was that sort of three or four? How long ago was that? Uh, 2016. So 2016. yeah, almost four years ago to like, oh, wow. a little over four years ago. And so <laughs> what was the difference between recording that one and then coming in to record the Weapons songs? Um, perspective. And I think that one for me, like that, that record was, I've been trying to start a rock band for a while. Like I, I've been playing in other bands and doing like some sessional stuff, things like that. But I, I just wanted to play in a rock band and like, oh yeah, for sure, man. And I tried, uh, I, I think I tried like, like five or six different little groups and like people just being flaky and like not, not willing to commit and all that yeah. shit. And it was just like, and I get it, right? So, you know, how, how many people go and start a rock band and then nothing fucking happens from it, right? So I, I get where like, you know, these people are coming from, but it's like, yeah. hey, fuck, like, and I didn't want to be the singer. I just wanted all to right. play guitar in the band. And so I was like, here I am, like, I'm like a guitar player who can, who can, like, who can sing. And I'm like, I want, I just want to play guitar in a rock band. And that's what I'm trying to get started and trying to get going here. It's uh, not happening, not happening five or six times. And I felt like I'm like, okay, I've wasted like six fucking months trying to get this going. So then I was like, okay, like a friend of mine was like, why don't you just like, you're starting to write songs and shit like that. It's like, just, just do it. Just, just go and do something. I didn't want to, I didn't want to like perform under, like if it was going to be me and then like a constant, like, you know, I was just hiring people to kind of play. I didn't want to like make, I didn't want to go under a, like a, an artist name or something like that. It was just, it was yeah. a thing. And it felt weird being like, it's like, oh, this band is like, you know, Meat Wolf. We're, we're Meat Wolf. And, but it's just me and then, like, <laughs> the guys are changing all the time, you know, like. For sure. No, so I was just thinking about, you know, when I listen to the, to that stuff, it's a lot more, it's guitar driven, right? Obviously, like you said, if you're a guitar player, of course, that's going to be in a, a song like Stank Blues, which yeah. is like fucking Moby Dick on meth or something. You know, it's got that real <laughs> power to it. And you've got all those fills that are very, it's that slash tone and it's really guitar forward with, with weapons. Thank you, by the way. <laughs> no, that's, that's, that's what I was going for with that, so thank you. Moby Dick. Yeah, for sure. And then it sounds very different with weapons because, again, like I said, it's more about it seems to me it's more like it's more about the song and it's about giving people something they can sing and sing along to and so it's just a different beast right so your guitar then still guitar driven but it's, it drops back a little bit so totally i think we were when you guys were talking about like um the art of subtraction something i was thinking about is like how i like just from my perspective like uh, as a guitar play, guitar player singer something i like learned definitely over the course of like even just like, like the last four years as a marker is something like is that as even though for in my heart of hearts like i care about the guitar i really fucking love the, like guitar and i love playing it that's not the point the yeah. point like what the most of the audience is there for is like for the vocals and for the song and the like the whole thing right even though it's like oh fuck i love playing guitar i have to like i have to change my mindset on it and like make sure that i'm like no but like you know sing as best as you can because that's the thing that like people are going to latch on to right that's the focus yeah. it's like it like if my guitar tones off or something like that, and like it's not quite perfect, I can't think like a guitar player and be like, "Oh fuck, my tones fucked," and let it get in my head. It's like, who gives a shit? Sing your fucking dick off. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. sing your dick off. There you go. <laughs> That's gonna be our next radio weapon. Video. Sing your dick. <laughs> sing your dick off. That's gonna be the hashtag on the. That's gonna be a hashtag on Instagram when I post this. Oh, sing right, your dick off. Definitely. <laughs> 
I'll, I'll save that for when we're not recording. <laughs> um, Another one thing I'd read was about, you know, and again, we, we sort of said this off the top that people should make music, not weapons. And I'd read, Jordan, that you said music is the weapon of the future. And I found that interesting. I want to dig into sort of social consciousness and that kind of thing a little bit. And of course, you know, there've been artists like Bob Dylan and Steve Earle and Rage Against the Machine, Tracy Chapman, Lennon, who've, who've had that sort of voice in Childish Gambino now. Is that an important part of music and with the world in the state that it's in right now, with Black Lives Matter and it's Pride Month and all these groups seemingly getting more disenfranchised again, do you think that art and music especially has a role to play in, in sort of delivering some sort of message? Do you feel any kind of responsibility to do that? It's like the responsibility of artists to comment and make people think about what's going on around them. And I think that, I think that as an artist, yeah, that, that it is important to talk about those things. We our, our music that we've recorded and it's just, it, it has to do with, um, I guess that's a different end of it for us. Like, right. It's a different delivery of things. Yeah. It, it just happens to be the songs that we happen to have recorded. It's and it's trying to find that balance is important, right? Because you know you don't you don't end up being Bono, preaching at people because it's not a pulpit. Yeah. But right. so finding that balance can be difficult. Like, do you guys talk about that amongst each other? Like, how much is enough? How much is too much? Uh, I don't think that. Like, we don't tell. Like, we don't say, "Well, that's too much" or anything like that. Because I think that that level of censoring and that that's the other thing too. We're all three different people. We are going to have three different perspectives. Yeah. So it's like, I think a lot of it is just like you know we have to be respectful of each person's opinion and like each person's stance on things. We discuss it amongst one another and have, you know, we can even have like, you know, a, converse, a conversation about the difference of our opinions. But I don't think as far as a, like an agenda when it comes to weapons, I don't think we ever really discussed that heavily. You know, like we don't like plan our agenda kind of thing. Yeah. It's more so what we feel is honest to who we are and how we feel about things. We write about what we see. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the band is just, it's just a voice. It could be struggling with a relationship with anybody. It could be a relationship with your significant other, relationship with your boss or the relationship with the police, you know, like it's, it's just, uh, yeah. And to come back to the original question, I think there is a responsibility on artists to, um, <laughs> use their voice to, to, uh, you know, make people aware of what's going on around them how they feel and just to know it's like you're not alone uh yep. raise awareness and and that what, what a great platform to do that on you know and of course the other end of it is music it's got to be fun it's got to be creative it's 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 uh artistic so um yeah i really enjoy this band <laughs> yeah. do you guys share lyric writing duties yes mm -hmm. yep is yeah. that uh so is it by committee or, or is someone holding the hammer or? No, no, well, we start with a whiteboard. We find five of our favorite words. <laughs> and we put tape on the mouth. And, yeah. uh... and it actually depends too. Like I know, no one has the hammer, definitely not. But I think it, what we'll do is if someone, if someone feels, I, I correct me if I'm wrong you guys, but if someone feels really strongly about something, like they're just like, I, I think it needs to be this. We kind of just like, all right, cool. Like there's like a little bit of like, all right, we'll, we'll give you this one. We'll trust you on this one kind of thing. If it's like, yeah. I find that that generally kind of happens. It's that's like, more than once. it yeah. needs to happen. Like, you know, if someone has obviously has that like undying fiery passion about it, it's like, okay, cool. I trust, like, it's like, I trust you as my like brother and artistic collaborator. Go for it. Like, yeah, we, we definitely, there's a lot of trust here. So, um, 
that's really great. Mo- I would say most bands, there's usually a writer or two. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's really interesting. You guys all three do it together. Is there any heated discussions? Uh, you know? To- totally. But And I think we, we've kind of grown to understand that it's like, we'll have heated discussions about things, but it's like, it's never personal. It's just yeah. us being so fired up about what we're talking about or having a strong opinion and being like, no, like, fuck that. Like it, it has to, you know what I mean? Like that kind of passion that comes with art, yeah. which is good. Yeah. That would, like, you know, we're creating from a passionate place. It's also, I would say too, like, and, and to kind of counter what we were saying about this, sometimes we'll have somebody bring a, a number of ideas, like, or even like, you know, like a, like a half fleshed out song. And then we'll tweak it together or we'll cut shit out. Or it's like, you know what I mean? It's more of like, and we all take turns doing that. Like, like here's this lyrical idea. And it's like, hey, that's a really cool idea, but this lyric is stupid. Like <laughs> this lyric sounds like shit. And it's like, cool. And you need to like trust that other person, or I guess we need to trust that other perspective where it's like, yep, that's dumb. Like, and also not feel defeated. Right. Because it's supposed to be, it's exactly that. It's a committee, not just like, oh yeah. Like, uh, your your lyric is dumb and you're dumb and I hate you. <laughs> it's like, dumb, but I don't hate you. <laughs> yeah, it, gets, what? Yeah, it gets quite confusing sometimes. <laughs> it's pretty lucky though to land with you know to find three people who do have that level of trust and sort of respect for each other that can work so closely together. I mean, pretty early on in their life of a band, that's pretty rare. I would I think. Yeah, absolutely, man. With all the with all the bands I've been in. That is extremely rare, and yeah. I think we sort of we started doing it without knowing, and it was it was just because once again, just respect for each other. We want to hear each other out, and um, actually, well, uh, Jordan and I had uh, we got hired to do a gig last last summer now at the the Craven Music Festival. Is that what it is? What is it? The Country Fest, right? Um, and we're backstage with Clayton Bellamy. And we were we were actually talking about this, and he made a good point. You know, like a lot of a lot of rock and roll bands, it's usually sort of the one guy saying his thing, and that's that rock that rock and roll attitude that some people have come to know. And, um, and in the country world, it's a lot different. Sometimes you'll have six, ten writers on a song, even with a lot of pop songs. But you know what? That and then you have this great song, and once again, that's where it comes down. It comes down to it with us with some of our songs. There's maybe six writers on it, you know, and. I'd like to expand that to uh, 16, maybe. <laughs> I don't know. But, uh, what, are you, what are you guys doing later, you know? Uh, but, uh, but, you know, those, that, that fresh perspective. And really, when you, when you find some other collaborators, and, and everybody we've written with so far, that's that's their goal, is just to come up with a great song. You know, it's not to, you know, do we need a solo? Oh, it might help here. And, and it's right. not, there's definitely no... Uh, not a lot of ego at the door, and it's good. It's great. Um, so the new single that's out was out yesterday, I think it released, right? Yeah. Um, it's by Baby Gone, and obviously the first two songs that you released are, I would say, in that pop rocky. They're they're quite you know upbeat, and they got that bounce. This one, like when that guitar riff came in, I was like, ooh, this is heavy. It's <laughs> a big fucking audio slave meaty kind of thing to it. Um, but the, but the lyrically it's almost got that sting kind of feel to it where the words wouldn't even necessarily matter because the bounce is so right. Like, it just sounds perfect. Oh, cool. So who's, whose idea was that song? Who's, who's going to claim that one? <laughs> That's, that was another collaboration. We have... Okay. Um, uh, it was, uh, the guitar riff was written by, uh, by uh, uh, Jesse Dawson, this dude from Saskatoon. 
years ago. He showed it to me and it just like, it always stuck in my head. Okay. And then like later on, I, I, I was like, Hey guys, like what if we did this? Immediately came up with this idea for a, a version of the song that used that. And then we actually took that version of the song and we further collaborated with, like we brought to John Angus and Colin. Um, and th then it was just like, it was so cool. And I, actually the whole process by like the story of the song, like the, the, uh, the growth of the song, like from like where it just started out to like, like that sitting around with that session and like, and Colin, Colin came up with this really cool like idea for the chorus. And he was just stuck on the tag, stuck on the tag, stuck on the tag. And then Talis got Talis in the line, like why not buy baby gone? And Colin was like, no, no, it can't be that. Can't be that. And then like in a second, was like, no, yeah, it can still be that. It was like, you're watching like, this whole thing. And then it just like, it was awesome. It, it was, and then the whole time, like JA was kind of getting ready, like some demo tracks and like, you know, kind of like, it was really cool. Cause it, it definitely, yeah, it definitely sounds like the original um, demo, not demo, but like the original version that we were playing. Right. But it's, it's, it's so much better now. And again, it was another thing where it's like more collaborators, you know, bringing in things from other people and it's just like, boom. So you've been doing, obviously, again, a new band coming into the scene, especially in rock and roll. And Randy and I have been talking about this a lot. Rock isn't the thing anymore, right? It's rap and hip hop, and that's really what is big on music. But you've been getting a lot of radio play. So did that take you guys by surprise? Or was it just like, okay, no, we know our songs are good. That's that We should be getting played. Uh, took me by surprise, that's for sure. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, and, and like radio, man, like, like how many people listen to the radio nowadays too, right? It's, yep. it's uh, well, obviously some people still do. I'm <laughs> <laughs> uh, talking, go ahead. <laughs> Yeah, no, doing, uh, we were, we and you've were, been doing lots of radio interviews, right? So that's a different thing again, right? So you're a, you're a band, you're musicians. You're not used to fucking having a microphone in your face and being asked really weird questions. So I, I was, have you adapted to that naturally, or is that kind of like, oh, do we have to do this again? I think I've definitely <laughs> half and half, but definitely the more you, it's the thing of like the more you do it, the more you know how to do yeah. it. So I think we're all getting used to it now. He's the best talker of us, probably. Yeah, but I also don't shut the fuck up, which is something I'm trying to bring to It's also, um, there's nothing premeditated, you know what I mean? Like, it's, like, we don't know what you guys are going to ask us. And we're, yeah. Oh, we're just being honest with it. And that's the nice thing about this format is this is just a chat, right? We're really just sitting down to talk to musicians about music is what we're doing, which is, awesome. is what we do anyway, so. Do you guys have uh, all day jobs still? Not currently. <laughs> yeah, I uh, guess... Uh, with the with the lockdown here but what did you guys do before for me uh, this like i do teach like i i, I teach um, private lessons but oh, cool. and uh a couple other gigs like you know do higher gigs with other bands and stuff like that but i mean yeah. this is definitely the main focus you know about, about getting another another job and there are times and it's like it's like even even though like you know we're not on tour or you know we're in, in, in the in-between busy times it's like fuck, there's still so much shit we have to do yeah that, like, you know having having another having another like a, a you know a full-time job would almost be exhausting in its own way that said though i remember being like 19 or 20 which is like, like probably the last time i had like a like a non-musical related job uh, sorry, with one brief period when I, I was living in Toronto, I had a I had a job working at a wine store because 
Broke shit. <laughs> and wine's good. And uh, yeah, we have free wine, baby. Wine helps you forget that you're broke shit. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't whining. Then you wonder where your money went. <laughs> so uh, uh, aside from that, like, um, uh, I remember having that job, and this the other end of it too. I was so physically exhausted, and also like you know, like kind of not like not wanting to do this work that I was doing. That when I got home, I found that I would have really interesting spurts of creativity because it was like it was an outlet. So it was just a change of perspective on things. Well, I'd I'd tell you, but then I'd have to kill you. (laughs) (laughs) That's a way fucking better answer. (laughs) What he said. Um, For the last four or so years, I've mostly been doing music. I had a period where I was doing way too much and was running three bands. And I was working at Safeway way more than I asked for. Then I was doing a lot of school way more than I asked for. So that was fun times but for the most part i've just been doing music i'm lucky to be able to do that for minimum wage beautiful right on yeah congrats guys that's awesome so what's coming up then for you guys do you have a full album coming or are you just collaborating during all this lockdown time or uh we've got actually a couple uh, we've got a writing session next week hopefully hopefully uh, get some songs out of that and then we've got another hopefully another writing session uh, the week after that, uh, um, it's been good because uh, when we do have, we've had this time off and we've just sent each other the odd idea here and there. It's not like we're in panic mode and have to follow this up with, 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 with more music right away. Um, it's been pretty, it's been pretty chill, but yeah, we're, I'm looking forward to getting in, into uh, the writing mode here with uh, some other songwriters in a bit. And, and um, yeah, it's been, I think we've, you know, this, the tour was, it was a lot, a lot of driving. It was, it was nuts. We needed a bit of a break after that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Not, not to say that the whole world needed a break after that. But, <laughs> but, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> well, all of Canada was so tired after that tour. They had to take four months. <laughs> On that side of it, the, the, just the band name weapons, it's infinitely brandable. Right, that's a really smart decision to go that way with the three and everything because you can do a hell of a lot with that. Works well on t-shirts; it's good on everything. So, yeah, thanks, man. Yeah, it was uh, that was actually out of necessity. We um, <laughs> we called we called the band Weapons, and then some other band called Weapons started threatening to sue us on Facebook. <laughs> we just, and we we just threw the three in there, and because uh, yeah, because we sorry to interrupt. I was just gonna say like because we're pretty sure we had the name first. Right. So we kind of maybe half called a bluff and then like, we're not changing our name. Three. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then when, actually when we, when uh, the theory guys introduced themselves to us uh, the first night of the tour, it was, oh, look, it's the W3 Apons, you know, if you, uh, <laughs> if you, uh, if you ask uh, Alexa or whatever, one of those uh, Google Home things to play weapons, you have to pronounce yeah. W3 Apons, you have to... Uh, Ask for the name of the song, and then it will say by W three yeah. A bonds. <laughs> <laughs> now W three A bonds. Yeah. <laughs> 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 the A bonds. That sent us was super hilarious too. He's like, "Hey, yeah, weapons. It's a really cool name." But just so you know, we've already got like it was like, "Yeah, it's a great yeah. name." Like, okay, like what? What the fuck, man? <laughs> and it, like, I mean, yeah. Since so then, cool. though. They've uh, they've changed their name. 
Yeah, they do. Oh, yeah. I don't want to get any more messages from them. I I do wish them the best. (laughs) We usually finish um, our recordings with 10 quick fire questions. Um, The first one, and you can do this by committee, is the age old question Rolling Stones or the Beatles? Oh, that's a dumb question. I was just going to say the questions get stupider, so just hang tight. <laughs> oh, <man. laughs> um, to me, the Stones, they're rock and roll. Like, they're totally the ancestors of that in a way. Or, like, they're the first guys to, like, get that derivative of blues going. Like, they definitely had that. But then it's like Beatles were music as a whole. Like, they just included so many different sounds. Second question is, do you have a favorite song to play live? My baby gun's really fun to play. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's that's a fun one. Yeah. The yeah. shouts and like yeah, even on tours, some people were joining in on it. I think yeah. my baby gun for me. Yeah, just good. I'm going to say uh, we've got this other song called "Broken Promises," and I, I like it right now because I don't like it. It's, <laughs> it's freaking tough. Like the the drum part, works and the backup vocal, it's you know they're contrapuntal yeah. to each other. The rhythm is it's just yeah, it's ridiculous. So. We've been very, very nicey-nicey so far, but this one might sort of cause a schism in the band. Who has the best taste in music in the band? Not me. Yeah, not me. <laughs> <laughs> I, like <geez. laughs> I like cheesy fucking music, man. And I like, cheese and grease, basically, are my two fucking... Yeah. I guess... Uh, Jack? You then, I guess, Talos. <laughs> Talos, yeah. Talos by default. I, I, I'll give it to Talos here, because Talos, Talos has shown me a lot of bands that I ought to have listened to, like in, like in those moments of like, what, you've never heard this before? And then like, yeah. will take, take us on an educational ride through a lot of shit, so. What song do you never want to hear live again? Sorry, I'm just breaking. Do I never want to hear again? Yeah, there's one song you could take out of the music world that you just never want to hear it again. What would it be? Brown Girl. <laughs> <laughs> Who in the band has the best dress sense? Best dress sense. I think uh, I'll give I'll give that to Mick just because he thinks about it. What? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That one's <laughs> no. yeah it really Never. is. Like he's been late for everything because he can't find a belt buckle that matches his sock. You know. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Which I just gave up on today. Well, I was five minutes late. Yeah. You got to look sharp on stage, though, right? You know. Yeah, I, I don't know. I <laughs> I've like worn the same outfit. Like, I, and they even slept in it sometimes on tour. I wore the exact same outfit for every single show on tour. It's his birthday suit. <laughs> until I <laughs> until I blew the dick out of my pants at a show. <laughs> for shows, so I still wore those crotchless pants on stage. I forgot about that. And then I brought new jeans. Yeah, I can still smell it. <laughs> Solo shows. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Front row had a fresh experience. That day. Anyways, so having been out on tour, oh sorry, go ahead, go ahead, Mick. Oh, that's that's all I was gonna say. I definitely like to have fun with what I wear. I'm dressed like Jordan Wellborn today, but otherwise, I <laughs> I am definitely not afraid of what I look like. To you guys, so. Having been out on tour now, what's the most important thing on your rider? Strawberry bubblies. Strawberry bubblies, yeah, absolutely. Actually, vegetable trays? Veggie trays. Yeah, Yeah, veggie trays are a big thing for us. We demolish those. 
that was that was the one like I guess weird thing I put on on the rider was just I asked for like four to six local craft beer because I just like oh nice if if the option was there I just wanted to try something from each place that yeah because which is you know it's like it's a way of taste getting a little taste of the city absolutely for big taste that was city. his sightseeing yeah yeah <laughs> seeing much by the end of it. <laughs> <laughs> what's the best gig you guys have ever played. What was the one that was like, when you came off stage and thought, holy fuck, that was just unreal. I liked Grand Prairie a lot. Montreal, Montreal like too. Yeah, Montreal. yeah. Montreal was awesome. I don't even remember the Montreal show. I just remember like, like being like, holy fuck, we crushed it. Like I remember feeling that. Yeah. We were a well-oiled machine by that show. Yeah. And crowd response was, was, was great. Yeah, it was, it was enormous. That was good. Um, cool. That's my favorite show for sure. Grand Prairie was pretty nuts, dude. They were they were insane at that show. Yeah, it's like, a party town. That yeah. that town. They they like rock and roll. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. yeah it was a good one too. That's a second second for me. Yeah. Once you guys got to conquer the world and people are opening up for you, who would be your dream opening act? Dream oh, like who would we want to open for us? Yeah. Um. Her Carly Rae Jepsen came out with some new <laughs> <laughs> Check her out. Does she have radio? Yeah. Wouldn't it be fucking funny if Carly Rae Jepsen came out with a metal album and just blew everyone away? That would be so Honestly, funny. I'd love it, yeah. If that's the thing. It's like, if it's good, fucking A. Like, do it. People yes. people hate on that song with uh, Bruno Mars. Oh, uh, Slow. Yeah. Um, but... It's a rock song. It doesn't matter who's playing it. It's the energy that's there. And that song is definitely rock and roll. It's probably going to get a bunch of hate comments now, but I stand by that. No, we've talked about that with the people, you know, the idea of sort of guilty pleasures. And it's bullshit. If you like music, if you like it, you like it. And you should just just enjoy it, you know. Who is the most likely to quit the band over artistic differences? Now, that might not apply because... You guys are tight, and you've already said that you really like each other. But who would be the one who's going to storm out in a in a fit? The, the keyboard player that we hired. The, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the guitarist. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's so last question, um, and it's sort of the opposite to the the other opening act. If you could open for anyone and go on tour with anybody, who would you pick? I'm definitely a fan of Billy Talent. They're the reason why I'm here, a broke musician, and not knowing what I'm doing with my life, like. I like music before, but they're the ones that made me pick up the strings. I'd feel fulfilled if I got to open for them. That would be so cool. I, I, I'm a huge, I'm a huge Guns N' Roses fan. I fucking love Guns N' Roses, but like, I love Guns N' Roses. I love Guns N' Roses from like 1987. Yeah, like those greasy shit bags. <laughs> like you know, just like like that, that. Like I love that attitude and that kind. Of, like they were to me more of a band back then, but. I, if, yeah, the Food Fighters, I think, would have to be the one because the modern incarnation of GNR just, I don't know, as fucking cool as that would be. I'm like, like yeah. GNR offered us a tour. It's like, oh man, sorry, <laughs> friends had your chance, like, you know, <laughs> fucking 33 years ago. Well, from a geeky musical perspective, which it'll, it'll never happen, but I would love to open, obviously, for a band like Tool because that's just amazing. Well, I don't think it'll happen with this project, but. I think, um, and well, yeah, everybody's going to hate me for it, but I'd, I'd like to go on tour with Nickelback. I think that'd be awesome. <laughs> I think it'd be a good fit for this band, actually. It'd uh, be a perfect fit for this band. Yeah, yeah. So that's, um, <laughs> I actually, the, the Nickelback thing is I, I know that they have uh, 
good catering backstage. If you watch that, <laughs> for me, it's about the catering. I remember when I, I got I got backstage passes to Stone Temple Pilots, and um, which was awesome because I got to meet the band before they you know weren't that original lineup. But I remember for the first couple songs, I was backstage picking up their catering and they had everything. It was, it was beautiful. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, You're fired awesome. from backstage. I've really enjoyed listening to your stuff so far and I'm looking forward to new music coming out because it's right in that sweet spot for me of being heavy enough, but it's melodic as well. So it's good stuff. Oh, yeah, thank you. Guys. Yeah, thank you. Bye Baby Gone is a better representative <laughs> of our actual live sound, our actual energy and whatever. We like all music, but it's like, that song represents like what we grow up on, what made us play. Yeah, like I think that's a part of why we're really stoked about this particular release because it's like this is just a like it's a it's a rock song the way that we like to play rock and roll and it like even the way the band sounds live. I think that's kind of what Mick was alluding to. It's like we have those two songs. She was the one off the top of my heart, but you you put them in the context of what our live show sounds like. It, it is a little bit. It's I would say closer to where by Baby Gone sits as far as you know, the overall heaviness or lightness of the, of the set. Thanks for listening, music lovers. We'll include links in the episode notes to weapons, social media presence, and releases. We'll also link to Jordan's EP and a whole bunch of other songs and artists we talked about in today's episode. Don't forget to check us out on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at H-F-I-A-M podcast. It rolls off the tongue. We post regularly to keep you enlightened and entertained. Thanks for watching. Every word you said, I've had